and welcome back to our podcast where do i know them from as always my name is alexandra and i'm elizabeth and this is the podcast where we talk about every single movie that Sir ronan has ever been in which is kind of a daunting task i'm realizing now that we've done quite a few episodes so thank you to our loyal listeners for tuning in every single week yeah i think we're getting pretty close to our 20th episode that which is, is crazy. thrilling oh my gosh yep we should do something to celebrate <laughs> All right. Well, Elizabeth, do you want to take us away with some letterbox reviews for this movie? Of course. All right. 4.5 stars. I love and support these moving blobs of paint. Picasso. I like it. Picasso. <laughs> I like I it. Like Picasso. It. <laughs> 3.5 stars. Further proof that Saoirse Ronan is literally a work of art. Nice. Two stars. Good <laughs> Two stars. How were they able to make this movie this boring? Important note. The second this is italicized. I think that's important to note, yeah. I yeah. it was so boring. It was a truly boring film. Okay. Well, this movie was Loving Vincent. It came out in 2017. It was directed by Dorota Coviella and Hugh Welchman. The screenplay was also by Dorota Coviella and Hugh Welchman along with Jacek Daniel. An apology to anyone who was ever involved in the making of this movie. Most of your names are Polish and I cannot pronounce that at all. So apologies in advance. You're so brave. This movie was based on the art and life of Vincent van Gogh. It is specifically about, I think, like the last month or so of his life. Mm-hmm. And it's told in a sort of postmodern way, which, as you guys know, we love and appreciate so much and yet <laughs> not here. It was 95 minutes long. And once again, this is one of those movies, just like Weep Away for Now, where I thought, oh, boy, an hour and a half? I can handle that. No problem. And then 10 minutes in, I said, is it over yet? Yep. Yeah. The shortest yep. movies are always the longest movies. True. Just in terms of their emotional toll, if nothing else. (laughs) Yep. Okay, so our major actors, I have to say, Vincent van Gogh really was not a major actor, as he spent most of the movie dead. But he does have top billing, so... But he does have top billing, probably because he's the titular character. So our major actor for playing Vincent van Gogh is Robert Gulachik. He was also played by Joachim ten Hoff. And Douglas Booth is our main character. He plays Armand Roulon, otherwise known as... Yellow jacket to us because that is the only way that he was ever really identified. I do appreciate an animated movie for giving everyone one signature look and then never deviating from that path. He also looks like Douglas Booth. We should clarify. Yeah. That. You can identify him from everything about his face. That's true. And the yellow jacket. I just didn't really know his name for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerome Flynn plays Paul Gachet, the doctor. Sir Sharonin plays Margaret Gachet, his daughter, and Vincent Fango's love interest. Helen McCrory plays Louise Chevalier. Chris O'Dowd plays postman Joseph Roulon, otherwise known as Douglas Booth's Armand Roulon's father. My king. Chris O'Dowd, notably, the only person who did an accent the whole movie. I think everyone else was just kind of, like, vaguely British. Saoirse does an accent. And Chris O'Dowd was just, like, Scottish. (laughs) Yeah. Which was kind of funny. John Sessions plays Peritongi. Eleanor Tomlinson plays Adeline Revu. And... Aidan Turner plays the boatman, and Bill Thomas plays Dr. Masary. Once again, I want to apologize for butchering all those French names, but also I don't care, so I will continue to do it. Yeah, this is an anti-French podcast. It is. Yeah, the score was by Clint Mansell. (laughs) Uh, The production companies are Breakthrough Productions and Trademark Films. It was distributed by Altitude Film Distributors and Next Film. This movie, despite the fact that we thought it was super boring, was pretty well received by audiences. A letterbox has it at a 3.9. The Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter has given it an 84%, and the audience has given it an 86%, which is, I think, one of the most consistent Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. I've ever seen. And Metacritic has it at a 62 out of 100, with the audience giving it 8.2 out of 10. 
I feel like a lot of that critical response had a lot to do with the production and, like, the way that the movie was made. Yeah. So I'll just get into that. (laughs) I agree. I think the movie technique is way better than the actual movie. Yeah. So the movie was first conceived as a seven-minute short film in 2008. Kobiela is also an artist, and she got the idea by studying Van Gogh's paintings in art school and his letters to learn his techniques. So the film has 65,000 frames, and each of them are, like, handcrafted oil paintings. They're crafted meticulously in Vincent Van Gogh's style, and they were worked on by more than 125 different artists from all around the world. The movie came out in 2017 at, like, a bunch of film festivals and won a bunch of awards. Oh, yeah, and it was Helen McCroy's final film before her death. So sad. That's so sad. I love Helen McCroy. She's so good at playing mean, like, villain. <laughs> the directors chose classically trained painters over animators because they didn't want... They wanted the oil paintings to be, like, purely oil paintings and not artists to come in with personalized styles, which was an interesting way to frame it. it seems a little authoritarian to me (laughs) yeah and oil painters also have their own styles so that was just an interesting like pull quote for me they used vincent van gogh's paintings to storyboard which you can kind of tell like because saoirse ronan's character like the first frame you see of her is van gogh's oil painting of that girl sitting at the piano and then they like kind of craft her whole look based on that so i just thought that that was kind of interesting and a lot of artists painted over the work that they had already done, like just on one on top of the other. So even though there are 65,000 frames in the movie, there are only about like a thousand canvases that survive as physical paintings because there are so many layers of paint. And so the way that they made the movie is basically like first the actors like, you know, got in costume and shot the whole movie in front of a green screen. And then they went back in and edited the film to put Van Gogh's paintings in the background of these on the green screen basically and then they took a rotoscope and they like projected the film frame by frame onto canvases for the artists to paint and the artists would paint over the canvases to like recreate it in the texture and style of an oil painting oh so that's God. why like all the actors look exactly the same like Saoirse Ronan looks like Saoirse Ronan she's not like an animated figure that they've just given a voice to I think one thing important to note here is that all the characters and a lot of the scenes in this movie are actual Vincent van Gogh paintings. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of them are very recognizable, but they do, like, have the actors' faces, like you said. Yeah. So I just think that that's really interesting. And if you're interested in how they did it and all of the trials and tribulations of getting this movie made, you can watch the documentary that is called Loving Vincent, the Impossible Dream that came out in 2018. The film had a $5.5 million budget, and it made... $42.1 $42.1 million globally with um, $6.7 million in the U.S. So it made back its money and more in the U.S. alone. Nice. And made much, much more globally. And I think that that's mostly because it's like a really cool concept. And I think I would pay money to go see it in a movie theater. Yeah. Even though it was so boring. I maybe wouldn't pay money to see it a second time. Yeah. This isn't a rewatch for me, but I am glad that I watched it because it's like a very, it's a cool concept, you know? Yeah. I will say I have seen this movie before, and I blocked the entire thing out because when I watched it again, I was like, whoa, (laughs) crazy that I would be willing to watch this again. Well, you had to, so. Yeah, I did have to. That's what friends are for. Yeah, for the loyal pod. Mm -hmm. Okay. One thing I'll say um, before we move on is that Saoirse Ronan is in that documentary, Loving Vincent, The Impossible Dream, and we will not be watching it for this podcast because I didn't want to. Also, we watched the movie. Also, we watched the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Basically, the plot 
is Vincent van Gogh's death. The film brings the paintings of Vincent van Gogh to life to tell his remarkable story, but the remarkable story is really the one that you've all heard, which is the story of how he died. The plot summary here, wow, I'm reading it, and there is nothing in here about what actually happens in the movie. Okay, so yeah, the plot summary <laughs> from Letterboxd is mostly about the process, which I think speaks to the fact that no one actually cares about the plot of this movie. We just care about how it looks, which is fair. That's a valuable part of film and animation, but also I feel like maybe it should have a more compelling story, especially because it's a murder mystery. Like, it yeah. should be so cool, and instead it just feels like this man in the yellow jacket is just bumping around from NPC to NPC. He kind of is. Trying to figure out, like, what even is going on. Yeah, so basically the plot is Armand Roulon, the man in the yellow jacket, his father, Chris O'Dowd, or the postman, has a letter that was sent from Vincent Van Gogh to Theo Van Gogh, like, a day before his death. It was, like, his last letter. I don't know why this letter was never delivered. I don't think that it's super relevant. There just is this letter. Yellow jacket has to deliver it. And so he goes to the town where Vincent Van Gogh was living in an attempt to find... At the beginning of the movie, I do not think that he knows he was dead. I'm not positive of that. Do you know? I don't remember. Okay, well, he he definitely doesn't know that he was... that he allegedly... like, that his death is mysterious. If he knows he's dead, he's just like, oh, must have died. Okay. So, Yellow Jacket goes to this town. I do not know the name of the town. It is a small town in France. (laughs) He shows up... Probably because it's fictitious, I think. Okay. He shows up. He says to everyone, hello, I have this letter for Vincent Van Gogh. And everyone's like, what? He is dead. (laughs) And then they all, as Elizabeth said, kind of act like NPCs. And when he approaches them, they tell him their story, their interaction with Vincent. Their whole story through flashbacks. Yeah, through flashbacks. (laughs) Notably in black and white. All the flashbacks are, are in a different color. So he approaches all these NPCs and he's kind of slowly piecing together the last basically month of Vincent's life. Ultimately, he finds out that everyone thinks that Vincent Van Gogh killed himself. He ultimately finds out that there is some debate about this. And I think the movie kind of leads you to believe that Vincent Van Gogh was murdered, or at least was killed in some way. Like, it maybe was not intentional murder, but he was definitely killed by someone other than himself. And, yeah, basically that's the entire plot, is that then he is unable to deliver this letter and then he also finds out that Theo Van Gogh is also dead and so he can't deliver the letter at all so he goes back to his dad and he says dad listen to this story yeah that's and it that's it yeah it's it's very like you said it's very video game e in that you are this yellow jacket man you don't know what the plot is you enter you hear from people you deduce that it was murder and then you leave yeah it was very much giving i don't know if any of you guys are real gamers that played the nancy drew nintendo ds game but it was really giving nancy drew nintendo ds i don't remember what that game was called so clearly i'm not a true gamer but yeah it's giving detective video game that's so crazy i played the nancy drew detective online game (laughs) wow i wonder if it was the same game and i just only know about it on my ds that's my dead nintendogs rip rip my nintendogs Okay, so basically, the plot, as you can tell, pretty unimportant. It is simply a vehicle for us to look at pretty pictures for an hour and a half. Yeah. And yet, and here's the part that I was really upset with, the pictures are so distracting Mm -hmm. that you literally cannot pay attention to anything else. It's like watching, it's like being hypnotized for an hour and a half. I really feel like this film walked so that the Van Gogh experience could run. Like, I think that they put this movie together and they were like, wow, bitches will really pay real money to stand in front of a Van Gogh painting for an hour and a half while it moves hypnotically. 
<laughs> You're right. Um, and then they realize we don't even need sound for that. Like, get the get the voice actors out of here. Like, we'll just, I guess they're real actors because it's the, <laughs> but anyway, get the actors out of here. We'll just move the pretty pictures around a room for as long as they want. I think that's a totally fair read on this. It's also so, I mean, I like Van Gogh. I'm not like a huge art person, despite the fact that together Alexandra and I have been to like four art museums, which is crazy considering we've only known each other for two years. <laughs> but it feels weird that Van Gogh has such a vice grip on the cultural zeitgeist. Like, it's weird to me that he has the most content circulating. Like, I'm just thinking about the fact that you can buy like Van Gogh Converse and phone cases and I just feel like his paintings are everywhere. Yeah, I do kind of wonder what what vice grip he has on our society because you're right, he does seem to be the the artist that has the most movies about him, the most like mm-hmm. other generic media about him. And I think it's maybe because we as a society are fascinated by death. Yeah, and but so many artists have died. So many artists have died. But I guess maybe he's one of the only artists with a little bit of mystery about his death. I did look That's this up true. after the movie, and two of his biographers do believe that he was murdered rather than committed suicide. Wow. So maybe that's why. And yeah. also just his pictures are so pretty, so different. Yeah. But yes, I truly do not understand. If there are any art majors out there who want to tell us why Vincent Van Gogh is kind of got a, a death grip, a lock on us, mm-hmm. let us know. So, Elizabeth, what about this movie do you want to get into? Because we kind of talked about how the plot does not matter and how the look of it also doesn't really matter. It's more of a vehicle for art. Well, maybe we should start with the only piece of the plot that we can talk about, which are the flashbacks. Okay. The flashbacks for our listeners at home are done in black and white, which makes it seem like they are a very different style than the rest of the painting. So now I'm going to try to sonically describe a visual medium which is going to be difficult but van gogh's paintings are kind of we all know this because it has a vice grip on our society but they're kind of important or like they are known for like their texture and his little globs of paint like our mm-hmm. letterbox where you said yeah, like impasto yeah and the flashbacks are much smoother they're in black and white so maybe that's a reason that they're much smoother but there's less like texture going on in them they still look like an oil painting but the lines are more i don't know it, it is leaning closer to realism for me, less impressionistic, these kinds of things. They seem less like they're in the style of Van Gogh. They look, you commented this during the movie, they look a little bit more like charcoals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that could be a read on them because, like, it's other people talking about what they think happened. So, like, to me, that's kind of the same as a sketch. Like, you're yeah. kind of, like, coming up with a rough idea. You're putting pieces together and you're seeing what kind of, like, what works and what doesn't. But yeah, I think it's really interesting that they decided to use a different style and, I guess, color palette for the flashbacks, especially since, I mean, it happened a year ago, but that's kind of recent. Like, it's not like long ago, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What are the vibes? I'm wondering if the fact that it looks a little bit like charcoal and the fact that it's in black and white and has a vaguely different style, although not one that we could really pin down very well, could be an attempt to make it feel more fleeting since they're portraying a memory. That's true. Yeah. Less, less ephemeral. Wait, more ephemeral? Yeah. More ephemeral. (laughs) But at the same time, I feel that that is maybe not an effective use of that style or maybe it's just a bad read because impressionism as an art form generally is kind of an attempt to, to recreate ephemerality, right? Like the intention behind impressionism, which is like an attempt to capture like the way that light moves. Mm -hmm. And so it is by nature ephemeral. And so I don't think that I don't know. I just feel like 
impressionism is an interesting choice for a postmodern movie. Yeah, indeed. And maybe that's why there's less of the like textures and tiny dots in the in the flashbacks. That could be. Because that's the postmodern part. Yeah. I think I did also say to you while we were watching this movie that perhaps they could have kept the live action part and made the flashbacks in the style of Van Gogh. Yeah, and I think I know, that would have been better. I know that that defeats the purpose of the project. The purpose of the project was to animate a movie using oil painting mm-hmm. in the style of Van Gogh. But I just think that it might have been, it would have allowed them to still have that like divide in visual mise-en-scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also like not had such a drastic, I mean it, it would be a drastic shift in style, but I think you could have made it work easier like with some sort of funky transition or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe one of the things about this movie is that it felt it is animated. Yeah. In, in that every frame is a painting, but they all kind of run together. So it looks like like it's classical animation, right? And that it's like a drawing that changes. Yeah, like a flip book type thing. But it looks like claymation because yeah. not like it's not seamless. Like mm-hmm. all the frames are not identical, which I think is maybe what was really messing with me the whole time. Is it does not look seamless, but it's supposed to look seamless. Yeah, it's very difficult to watch for this reason because like the people's lips aren't moving exactly as they should and like the motion is kind of like not a hundred percent smooth i don't know it's very very interesting to watch but then it distracts you from the dialogue which is kind of dense yeah it's not fast paced but it's it's dense it's in fact very slow paced (laughs) very slow paced i have a question for you Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of artsy movies like this, like this is obviously it is an art movie, but it's also like an artsy movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, because I feel that a lot of artsy movies ask a lot of their audience. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that this one does. Oh, like um, big picture questions? Yeah. Yeah, I think it asks a lot of me in that it requires me to pay attention, which is hard. <laughs> but I don't think that it asks big questions of us except maybe I don't know I asked some big questions of this movie but I don't think that I was supposed to like I would like to know what this movie thinks about suicide and Mm. grief and like community and gossip Mm -hmm. but I don't think that we were supposed to really ask any of those questions so yeah I think that like it's almost like the story was put on the back burner which makes sense if your priority is the way the movie looks Mm mm-hmm but it's about more than that. I agree. It, it's very trippy and it seems to like, it's dealing with very, very heavy content. Like you said, like grief and suicide and murder and mm-hmm. like asking for questions, but at the same time really glosses over all of those just to look good. And then it doesn't even look that good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, it does look good in the sense that it's like you are watching 65,000 oil paintings in front of you. Mm-hmm. Like this, is, Wes Anderson has nothing on this, yeah. <laughs> like every frame of painting. But it's also like hard to watch. Takes a lot of, not hard to watch in the sense that some of her other movies are hard to watch. But like it's, it takes a lot of mental energy. Like stamina. Yeah. And like there's, in some places there's such like small motion that I don't know. It's hard to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, I don't. I don't even know. 
I'm wondering how it was to make this movie. I feel like it was probably pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, it took so long. Yeah, six I years. I can't imagine working. And I'm sure that, like, realistically, people worked on it for, like, six months and then walked away. Because I'm sure that everyone did, like, one scene or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like, can you imagine that, like, you work on this project and then it comes out six years later and you're like, oh, shit, yeah, I worked on that. <laughs> well, you said there was, like, what, 125 artists? Mm-hmm. And... 1,000 paintings still remain, so Mm -hmm. maybe everyone did, like, 10. Yeah, or something like that. That would be crazy. Just some of the scenes in this movie were really long. Yeah. Also, which was interesting because I just feel like that one canvas has got to get so thick, right? Yeah. I want to know, like, how much paint they used. Mm -hmm. I want to know how long it took them to do each frame. And I'm sure that's different because when you're, like, recreating Van Gogh's, that's going to take more than, like, when you're just doing your own. Or, like, if it's hard to paint someone else's style to this extent. Yeah. Because it was very much in his style. Like, there was not a lot of deviation. I feel like that's an assignment you have in art school. Yeah, So maybe people are used to it. And I want to know if they're, like, if they took, like really established artists or if they took like art students you know Mm -hmm. and if it's harder to paint as someone who's been painting for 25 years or if it's harder to paint as like an art student who hasn't really developed their own style yet i'm not an artist so i don't feel equipped to answer this question me either but it's sitting there in my brain i can say though that i appreciated all the effort that, that went into this movie like it clearly took so much effort and a lot of patience yeah. And a lot of it looked really, really nice. Like, every single landscape shot, I was like, wow, that is so gorgeous. I'm in love with this movie. And then, yeah. then it got a little bit boring, like, when the plot came back. Yeah. But, like, the the water shots were beautiful. Mm-hmm. The music was really eerie. I think it kind of played into it very well. And they did some stuff really, like, every single time they had a new establishing shot, I was, like, re-interested again because, like, the enough of the background had changed, right? Yeah. But also, like, they had some really cool technical shots, like the water shot you're talking about. There's a scene where, like, the main character is on a train, and you, like, see the back of his head, but also his reflection in the window. Yes, the windows were so cool. So interesting, because that's not something that I have seen a lot in other Van Gogh paintings, so they kind of had to, like, come up with that, like, what that would look like on their own. You know, he doesn't do a lot of, like, Mm -hmm. reflection and three-dimensional kind of stuff, you know? So... That was really fun to me. I was like, wow, that was probably a meeting. They probably had a whole meeting about that <laughs> whole one. Whole <laughs> design stuff. Okay. Some other technical things. What did you think of the costuming in this? Where are the characters? I think you've already talked about uh, our little man in the yellow jacket. Our he, little Nancy Drew. Our little Nancy Drew. I. That's why he wore the hat. He was a little detective. Yeah. I thought that that was helpful, especially since... Sometimes you see the characters from further away and they obviously can't paint all the detail on that person's face. So, like, that was helpful. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if anybody had, like, a color palette that meant anything other than that one belongs to them so you know who they are. Yeah. I agree. There wasn't really anything very strongly with colors other than that they were using Vincent Van Gogh's colors. Like, there was a lot of yellows. Yes, a lot of yellow. And a lot of, like, red accents, but maybe not for any reason. Yeah, I think it's just to mimic his his style. So earlier you brought up that you think this movie brought up a lot of questions for you about, like, how people deal with suicide and how people deal with grief, especially as a community, because we saw a lot of people, like, in this community that, that Yellow Jacket is interviewing, fighting and disagreeing and, like, kind of butting heads both over, over their interpretation of death and also how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel that this movie does that? Like, what does the discussion leave you with? I think that's really interesting. A lot of people in this movie seem to, like, 
blame their self their selves or like have a desire to like want to emphasize their role in Vincent Van Gogh's feelings. Yeah. And some of them don't do this. But like a lot of people seem to feel like some sort of guilt. Like they seem to think that like perhaps like it's their fault that he's dead. Yeah. And I think that that's like kind of a common feeling amongst people because we're inherently very selfish. But I just think it's really interesting because some of those people have, like, legitimate reasons to think that. And others, I think, are kind of far-fetched. And I'm like, surely that is not the reason that he would have taken his own life if he even did. Since we're maybe not supposed to believe that he did. I think the movie makes a strong argument that he was murdered. Yeah. Which is kind of bizarre. Like, I feel that it should have left it more ambiguous. But I agree. And I feel that maybe when someone you know takes their own life, you always feel a little responsible because you never know what did it, mm-hmm. how involved you were, what else you could have done. And so maybe all these people who didn't do enough or didn't include Vincent Van Gogh enough in their lives felt responsible in some way for making his life a little bit worse. Yeah, I agree. Also, though, when you think about it, that's so silly. I mean, it's not it's not silly, but it's like, it's weird that that's one of the first things we think about. What was my role in that? And not, like, more about that person. Yeah. You know? That's know. true. Almost no one in this movie is really, like, psychoanalyzing him. They're more, like, thinking more about their role, their yeah. own flashback. And no one seems... Everyone seems to think about, like, the effect he has on other people. Like, they talk a lot about, like, his relationship with his brother. But nobody's really, like, talking about him... <laughs> Or, like, how he is feeling. Yeah. I feel like maybe this movie unintentionally brings up that classic point of, like, death is for the living, right? And grief yeah. is for the living. And that when people are experiencing grief, they are thinking about themselves because it's it's how it impacts them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, funerals. Funerals are not really for the dead person. They're for everyone there to make peace with that loss. Yeah. And I don't feel that this movie shows anyone making peace with Vincent Van Gogh's death. Yeah, it does take place a year after it has happened. Yeah. So there's always the potential that, like... They have more healing know, to they, do. Yeah, or, like... Or they're past it, you know? Like, because some of the people that he talks to truly only interacted him with him, like, once or twice. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's slightly easier than... Depending on how you interacted with him, I'm sure that's slightly easier than, like, someone who saw him every single day for his whole life. This is true. What do you think this movie tells us about art? Oh, my God. Well, first, I think that it can tell us that there is a separation between artist and art. Mm. Vincent Van Gogh's paintings are very happy Uh sometimes and very melancholy other times. This movie, not very happy at any parts. (laughs) I'm going to throw some postmodern theory at you, so bear with me. You said just now that artist is divorced from art, and it sounds very much the same as the author is dead. (laughs) The author is dead. Right? And that every single frame of this painting, all 65,000 of this painted movie, were made in his style Mm -hmm. in, you know, 2011 to 2017. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a statement of... He belongs to all of us now. Mm-hmm. Or, like, he is divorced from his art, yes, because his art seems more happy than his life seems to have been. Mm-hmm. But also, like, 
now we as a society are benefiting we like we have one this movie to, to think about we have all the other movies about him all the art exhibits all the other media about him one line in this movie said many declared him a martyr for art and one i think that that is maybe romanticizing suicide a little bit too much yeah. or romanticizing murder depending on which take you read but i do feel that maybe that's why he has got such a vice grip on all of us is that like people are recognizing at some base level that his art is divorced from him and that it belongs yeah. like it is no longer his something else that they said in that movie was that like met it's at the very end like that many people consider him the father of modern art yeah right i got that right it's third yeah. movement okay and i just think that maybe that's some of it like he very much is someone that seems an alien in his place and time right like he's doing work that's underappreciated while he's alive and he doesn't really get big until after his death which is true of many artists like Edgar Allan Poe died poor in a gutter in Baltimore um a really a terrible place to die Baltimore um, oh my god <laughs> terrible place to live too <laughs> <laughs> but um sorry to any Baltimore stands but anyway so I, I like I think that there's that component. I think you're right about postmodernism and divorcing the artist from it from their art. I think there's also probably a lot in there about how in postmodern theory, like other people's interpretation matters in many ways more than artistic intent. Yeah. And like how other people see him is how he's remembered because there's so much mystery about what he was thinking and feeling yeah. in this movie. And so all you get is other people's ideas about him and the whole countryside is very divided about his legacy Mm -hmm. right like they're divided about whether or not he was a good artist and whether or not he was a happy person or a good person or Mm -hmm. even like any of this stuff and Saoirse Ronan is kind of describing to us at one point she's like you want to know so much about his death but what do you know of his life and which obviously we've been hearing about it this whole time like we know girl (laughs) but she kind of paints Vincent Van Gogh as this working class hero like a very sensitive man but then like Helen McCrory's character like hates him and that Willem Dafoe goblin looking boy. Oh my god, that thing will haunt me. And the boy <laughs> the one with who the corn, murdered him. The boy in a cornfield or whatever painting they storyboarded that off of, not his best work, <laughs> will haunt my dreams. True. But that boy clearly didn't like him or at least saw him as more of an antagonist than like Sir Ronan or Eleanor Tomlinson's characters did. Mm-hmm. Maybe part of that legacy being contested is that after a suicide happens there's a lot of bargaining that leaves people in that stage of grief the longest because no one wants to believe that it has happened yeah yeah i think that that's a very astute observation they do seem to be making a strong case for murder but almost in like the worst like in the shittiest possible way because they're like we're gonna heavily imply that it's murder but then the final scene will be like does it even matter (laughs) Which makes yeah. it kind of feel like you can't argue with them because, like, their last their last claim is, like, but it's okay. Like, it doesn't matter. You can think that he killed himself. Yeah. But it does matter to me, I at least. I think overall this movie left me with an astounding sense of pretty movie, bad message. Yeah, I don't even really think that the message is so much bad in just... Well, I'm sorry. I think that the message... I don't really agree with the message. I think that maybe we needed some more representation in this film. But, like, that the story is just so, like, underwritten and underdeveloped that 
it fails to make like a a poignant. That's fair. Maybe there's not enough of a point. There's to be not good enough or bad. of a point or a message. I think like it's very much just like, oh man, this guy was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Crazy as in did a lot of did a lot of things. Not crazy as in mentally ill. Yeah. Although I do think that this movie was more about mental health than it was about Vincent Van Gogh or even about the mystery of his death. Yeah. And yet it did not talk about mental health in a very good or productive way. Yeah. Which was, I don't it was really disarming to watch. It was a lot visually to take in. There were a lot of words happening while I was trying to take in the visuals. And also those words could have been fewer and more effectively used. I agree. I almost wonder, do you think that it could have been better as a silent film? Mm. Like if it was, you know, like a ballet where they do all the movements and you're just supposed to interpret what's going on. No, because the movements were not detailed enough. Okay. Right. Because they were like kind of jotty. Yeah. They're kind of choppy. Yeah. So I don't think that it would have been better as a silent film. I do think that maybe it should have stayed a seven minute short film. I agree. This one feels like a better concept than execution. For yeah. Me. And like, it's really cool that they did this. And very cool. it's very, I don't want to downplay anybody's six years of work on this project because what they came out with is a best animated film award winning movie. Like yeah. it's a great movie to watch. It's just not a good story. Yeah. But almost all of the reviews said that, like even the Rotten Tomatoes review that was like an 86%, you know, like yeah, pretty much everyone was like, this is an amazing idea with a slightly boring script. And I think for that reason, it gets a three from me. Mm-hmm. All three stars are for how beautiful and how much effort it was. Yeah. And then the, the minus two stars is for how much I didn't want to be watching it the entire time. Yeah, I will give it three stars also. I will remove one star for how boring it was and one star for the Willem Dafoe Dafoe man in the (laughs) cornfield goblin that emerged, that jump scared me. I don't know how they jump scare me in an animated movie with oil paintings, but they did. That kid was freaking creepy. Yeah, he was. For anyone who has not seen this movie or seen that painting, I discourage you from looking it up. Please do not. You'll be haunted for the rest of your life just as we were. Yeah. Vincent Van Gogh. I love all your work except that one. That was not, that was too far, bud. You're on thin fucking ice. <laughs> this is Elizabeth's breaking point. <laughs> I just, th- like, things are just so unsettling to me. Like when we watched Annette. That's yeah. a story for another time. <laughs> oh boy, yes. Okay. For Sir Ronan, I'm thinking a three, maybe okay. even a 2.5. Mm -hmm. Because listen here, I think that she was of the characters besides the creepy boy, the worst one. (laughs) Okay. She was just kind of like the most meh one. She had the least interesting story. Yeah. She was the one that was like the hardest to get information out of. Here's the problem for Saoirse Ronan's character for me. I think that she, as an actress, relies heavily on small movements, which were very difficult to capture in the oil painting. So I think that Perhaps if I had seen her, the original film of her performance, I would think that it was a better performance than the way that it was translated into painting. But I think it was kind of hard to get a read on her, which I'm sure is why they cast her, because her character is in many ways the closest to Vincent 
in the movie. Yeah. But also, I think that there could have been a little bit more from her. Maybe we do need to watch Loving Vincent, The Impossible Dream and not talk about it on the podcast, but just like for our own personal edification to know. Yeah. Maybe but also, I don't ever really want to know any more about this movie since we've learned too much about it already. I honestly think that the documentary about this movie would be more interesting than the, mo- than the movie. Because I'm sure you get to see parts of the movie in it. That's fair. And you get to learn how they made it, which is like the most important part of the movie. That's fair. Thank you guys all so much for listening this week to us talk about some really heavy topics and also kind of trash a very famous award-winning movie. (laughs) Tune in next week for uh, another movie that we also really enjoyed. See you guys then.